0: good morning church we're going to go ahead and start worshiping so if you wouldn't mind standing to your feet and singing along with us Strange
1: rises, we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. strength rises, we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong deliverance, Defender of the weak, you comfort those in need. You lift us up on wings like eagles.
2: Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord We will wait upon the Lord We will wait upon the Lord Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord We will wait upon the Lord We will wait upon the Lord Our
1: God, you reign forever Our hope, our strong deliverance the everlasting God, the everlasting God. You do not faint, you won't grow weary. You're the defender of the weak. You comfort those.
0: My name is Emily, for those of you who don't know me, and um, it's just so good to be here with you all this morning. Um, As we continue with worship, we have a couple more songs. Um, I want to encourage you to give yourself the freedom to worship however you um, are led. There's no right or wrong way, whether sitting or standing, um, singing or listening, truly. Um, And the the right way to worship is focusing on God and his goodness and his greatness and what he's done for you and his love for you. And, um letting it be a real intimate, um, honest thing between you and your Savior.
1: The world thy hands have made I see the stars
0: We mean it.
3: fantastic you guys please feel free to have a seat uh so good to see you guys today if you're joining us either uh through facebook or youtube we're really glad you're here with us thanks for joining us and uh uh, you know the the song we're just singing is you know how great thou art singing that to god and you know our god is a great god our church is is maybe a small church but our god is not a small god and what makes our worship meaningful is uh, is, is well, really what makes our worship meaningful is the God that we worship. That our God is the one who simply spoke the word and a billion trillion stars were sprung into existence. That our God is truly great, he is truly awesome, and he deserves 100% of our worship uh, every day. The Bible says this. It says that, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We are a gospel people. Uh, We believe that what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he came, he died for you, for me. And what we see in the cross is this. We see that we see both the holiness of God and his holy wrath towards sin. But the other thing that we see in the cross is this, is we see God's, uh, his love, his grace, his mercy to each one of us. And what the Bible teaches us is that we're not saved by our good works. We are saved by putting our faith in the finished work of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. And although we are are saved by faith, we're not saved by our works. The Bible tells us that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That God wants us to live out our salvation uh, through the good works that he's prepared for us uh, that we are to live in them. And so as people who are saved by Jesus and who are saved by grace through faith, it's very important for us that we take time daily where we seek spiritual renewal in our lives, where we take time and just ask God uh, to work in our lives uh, and to bring bring renewal in our lives. Uh, To take time just to ask God to examine our lives, uh, to examine our thinking, to examine our affections. And then any place in our lives that's kind of out of sort between us and God, what we want to do is we just kind of, we want to humbly bring that to God and, and we want to give that to God uh, and then ask Him to cleanse us. And that's really what seeking a spiritual renewal and daily growth in Jesus is all about. So I want to take some a moment here. I want to uh, lead us in a, in a little time of prayer. God, today what we want to do is we want to ask you to examine our hearts to examine our minds, to examine our thinking, our affections. And what we'd like you to do is we'd like you to point out to us areas in our lives where maybe there's an idol of the heart. Maybe there is an affection that's luring uh, luring us away from pure-hearted devotion to you. Examine us, Lord. And, Lord, what we want to do is we just want to humbly repent. Uh, we want to confess that this affection, this way of thinking is contrary uh, to your thinking. Uh, it's, it's hijacking our affections for you. And God, my prayer is that right now that you would cleanse my heart. Cleanse me. My prayer, God, is right now that you would cleanse the heart of any person who in this time recognizes that maybe there's an unhealthy or unholy affection that they have or an unhealthy or unholy way of thinking. And We pray that you would cleanse us, and Lord, we pray for spiritual renewal in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. All right, well, uh, we want to take a moment and uh, just take uh, a couple of minutes, greet the people around you, maybe find out what they've been doing this weekend or if they have special plans for later today.
0: anyone worship. All who are
1: thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain. Dip your heart in the stream of life. Let the pain cries out to
3: say a special thank you to emily thanks for being with us today leading us in worship and uh, elsa obviously thank you appreciate you every week and Larice and eric working in the back there i appreciate you guys as well Um, so matt and carolyn are at matt's high school uh, reunion and how many years is this do you know how long it was he was he graduated 30 years ago okay all right 30 years ago yeah, this year was our 45th, my 45th, not Joy's, my 45th uh, reunion, and I didn't go again. So, uh, <laughs> and nobody said we miss you, so uh, it's not a big deal. All right, awesome. Hey, um, so uh, let me let me do this. I'm going to do a couple of things here. First of all, let me just, uh, I'm going to confess to you, I feel a little bit distracted today, maybe a little bit more distracted than usual, and we just have... Uh, we're getting ready. We have a daughter who's getting married in two weeks. So that's a little bit distracting. We're leaving town tomorrow and there's a couple other things. All good. Everything's good. But I I will confess to you that I am coming a little bit more distracted than usual. But I don't want that to get in the way of us really hearing uh, the word of God and hearing what God has to say to us. So let me uh, let's just commit our this time we have uh, to hear from God to the Lord in prayer, okay? God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. And, uh, and Lord, we worship you. And, uh, Lord, my, uh, I do. I come today with a little bit of distraction. Not unhealthy or unholy distraction, but just distraction. And my prayer is that you will help me to really focus in this moment. To really focus on loving and serving your people. And God, I know that everybody who comes here today comes with a different set of circumstances. Some people are coming here today, and maybe they're super excited, joyful about something in their lives, while someone else is with us today, and maybe they're going through a very, very difficult, dark time. And then there are others of us, Lord, we're just, it's not like all things are all bad or all good. We're just kind of somewhere in between. And so what we want to do right now is we want to try to set aside all those distractions, we want to set aside our anxieties. We want to set aside our fears. We want to set aside our worries. We want to set aside any and every kind of distraction that gets in the way of being fully invested in worshiping you and being right now invested in really hearing your word. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, helpless humbly receive the word implanted that is able to save our souls. So I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So a group of men are in a break room. By the way, we're working our way through the book of James. OK, we're working our way through the book of James. A group of men, uh, they're in uh, their break room at work and they're talking about another man. OK, you got this picture in your head? You know, you walk in, there's the break room, you got a little microwave over there on the counter, Uh, you got a coffee pot over here, maybe a refrigerator, whatever. You walk in, and you're in this break room, and there's a group of guys there, and they're talking. And you hear them talking about someone. And this is what they say. Ah, he's all bark, but no bite. He's all talk, but no action. Okay? You got that scenario? Uh, now I want you to um, I want you to 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 go with me to a different place. I want you to go with me over to Allenwood Park. Okay, we're at Allenwood Park. I know you. Everybody loves to go to Allenwood Park, don't you? Uh, they've done some work over there recently. I don't know if you've noticed. They've done some improvements, stuff like that. Uh, but you go to Allenwood Park, and there's a, a basketball court, and there's a couple of kids playing basketball. Okay, there are a couple of kids playing basketball, and um, And one of the kids, he he, he says to his buddy, he says, I'm going to whip your booty. Okay, maybe he says something different, but we're in church, so I'll just say it that way, okay? I'm going to whip your booty, all right? Can you imagine, like, a 13, 14-year-old kid saying that to his 13, 14-year-old buddy, and they're playing basketball? He says, I'm going to whip your booty. And, And the other kid says, man, you talk big game. You talk big game, but talk is cheap. Okay, are you are you with me here? He's all bark, no bite. He's all talk, no action. You talk big game. You talk big game, but talk is cheap. Well, another uh, another person. Okay, uh, and this person is kind of boasting about what they're going to do. They're gonna they're they're talking about all these things they're going to do. And then the other person finally kind of gets fed up with it. And they say, put your money where your mouth is. Are you with me in this? Okay. He's all bark, no bite. Talk is cheap. Put your money where your mouth is. You talk big game. She's all talk, but no action. All of these ideas have a common theme is that sometimes we say more than we do. Sometimes we talk more than we do. And this is an issue, like in a lot of areas of life, but nowhere is this a bigger issue than in matters of faith. Matters of faith. What I'm going to do for us today, and I'm going to do this in part, maybe because of my distraction I was talking with you about a moment ago, but I want to do it also just for, uh, you know, last week what I did is I read the text of scripture for you in the NIV and I read it for you again, New Living Translation. Today, what I want to do is I just want to read through what the Bible says. In James chapter 2, verses uh, 14 through 19. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to open up to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. I'm reading in the uh, NIV 2011 uh, translation. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it once, just kind of a quick overview. But then what I want to do is I'm actually going to read it through a second time, a little bit more slowly. And I want us to talk the passage through. I want to kind of talk through it when I go through it. Because I really want... This message from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19, to really sink in to our heads and into our hearts. And this is what the Bible says. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose that a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. Okay? You with me here? Let's go through it again. And I want to kind of walk us through this. And I want you to really think about this with me, phrase by phrase. James Wright, and remember, James, James, James was an early church leader. He was writing to a group of Christians. Uh, the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 1, it says, James, a servant of, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Do you hear that? To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. That what James was writing primarily to Jewish Christians who were scattered out in the Gentile nations. They were Jewish Christians with Jewish practices, but very much devoted to Jesus. But they did have some areas of their lives where they needed work. And so what James says to them is he says, he's writing, and he says to them, he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, by the way, when I, I you know, I, I, I know most of us are, what well, really don't get into Greek and all that kind of good stuff, uh, and I am a Bible nerd and so i kind of do you know i had 3 years of greek when i was at dallas seminary and and i was just i do kind of nerd out on this and i don't want to i don't ever want you to think you can, you have to question the english translation of the bible when i talk about something in greek but sometimes there are things that you see in greek that are hard to translate into in english okay and when you read these first two sentences in james 2 uh, 14 when you read these two verses you have two different questions both of these are rhetorical questions and both of these questions assume an answer and there's a little greek word may that's in these two questions and that word may means this that you are under, you are immediately assuming there's a negative response to each of these two questions okay And i think it's pretty apparent in the english translation but i want to make sure this is super clear is James is saying, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? And, and, and you already know, you already know, especially if you're reading this in a Greek text, you already know, if you, were in, and, if you were a Christian, a Jewish Christian in the ancient world, and you were reading this, you would immediately know, just by reading it, is when he says, what good is it? You immediately know it's no good. Okay? So what James is talking about here is a no good faith. All right? Can you say no good faith? Do you want to have a no good faith? No. Neither do I. Okay? Okay? But sometimes you got to put your money where your mouth is. Okay? Uh, and what he says is, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims? Claims. They merely say. If someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds. What good is that? It's, it's no good. It's a no good faith. And then what he asked is he asked this other question immediately after, after this is, can such faith save them? Again, you should immediately understand is that faith cannot save a person. That kind of faith doesn't save anybody. Do you understand what's at stake in this? I mean, the the what's at stake in these these this this is like not an easy text uh, to preach on because it is a very heavy topic. Is that there are some people who believe, but the belief they have. There are some people who have faith, but the faith they have doesn't save. There's a lot at stake in this text. Can you all see that in the scriptures? Do you see that? There is a kind of faith that really isn't faith at all. There's a kind of faith that is a word-only faith. Now, what I want to be sure, we're very clear on this, is that, that, that James is not saying that there's a conflict between faith and works. But James is saying there's a conflict between faith that has no works and faith that does have works. That's where the conflict is. And what he says, he goes on in verse 15, and, and what he does is he takes this out of the place of theory, and he talks about it in a, huge, in a very, very personal way. Okay? And, and what he does is he says this. He says, he says um, suppose, imagine. You know, we talk about having imagination, or I do, from time to time, when I'm preaching to you. That I need to preach with imagination, and you need to listen with imagination. Part of the reason Scripture sometimes doesn't have impact in people's lives is because they're not imagining what they're actually reading. They're saying the words, missing the point. Because their mind is not fully engaged. And here, you have to fully engage your mind. You have to suppose. You have to imagine. Imagine, imagine, imagine. A brother or sister is without, without clothes and daily food. Okay, let's just pretend like there's one of us here. They come week after week after week. Right now it's you know starting to feel like fall. feels pretty good. And in a few weeks it's going to start getting a little cooler and cooler and colder and colder. And so what you need to imagine is that there's someone here, one of us, who is coming every week. They have a sincere devotion to Jesus, but they don't have enough clothing to keep warm. And you're watching them in worship, and you're seeing them shiver a little bit. Why? They don't have enough clothing to keep warm. There's an easy solution to this. You just tell the pastor, Gary, we need to turn up the heat, okay? In the ancient world, it wasn't always so easy. They're, they're cold, They have inadequate clothing to stay warm. They are hungry. See, last night they went to bed and they didn't have anything to eat. And so they went to bed last night and they went to bed hungry. Can you see this person in our church right now? They went to bed last night. They went to bed hungry. And when they woke up this morning, they were hungry. They still didn't have anything to eat. And when they came into church today, they came in hungry. And when they leave today, they leave hungry. And tonight they'll go to bed hungry. And tomorrow morning they'll wake up hungry. There is a person here with a real need. They need clothing to keep warm. They need food to satisfy their hunger. Now, if one of you says to them, and here I do believe James has a little bit of a sense of humor, okay? Uh, because it's like, you know, it's, I, I think he's being a little bit, I don't know, sarcastic. He says, you know, if one of you says to them, oh, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, have a great week. You ever say to people, you know, when you leave them, have a great week. Uh, But does absolutely nothing to help this person with their need. Um, Go in peace, keep warm, be well fed. But then that person does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? What good is it? Again, again, it's this question, it's a rhetorical question, and it assuming assuming a negative response. It's no good. It's no good. Verse seventeen. In the same way what what James is saying here, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, is dead. You see, that saying that you are you know, for me to say that I'm a Christian That I believe in Jesus is not enough. It just simply isn't. I'm not saying that we're saved by works. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying where there's real faith and real salvation, there are real works. There's a real change in thinking. There's a real change in affections. There's a real change in living. There's a real change in the things that we do. There's a real change in how we treat the people immediately around us. But someone will say, "You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds." And what James is saying is that that it's it's not our profession of faith that's evidence of true faith, that proof of faith, not just profession of faith, is what's needed in our lives. And it looks like it looks like Well, earlier in this text, it looks like showing compassion to people who need it. Real salvation looks a lot like compassion. Did you know that? It looks a lot like compassion. Uh, Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Okay? Now, again, this is where you have to use a little bit of imagination with me. You have to go back with me about 2,000 years. Okay? 49 AD. You're a Jewish Christian. Every day when you get up, the first thing that you say each day is you say Shema. Can you say Shema? Okay. You know what Shema means? Here. Can you say here? Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You say it every day, first thing when you get up. Every night before you go to bed, you pause just before you go to bed and you recite the Shema. Here, here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This statement of faith for them was core to what uh, living out Judaism looked like. There were other aspects of it. But every day you would say this confession of faith. What, what James says, he says this, you believe that there is one God. He's referring to the Shema. You, you believe there is one God. Good. Good, again, he's being a little bit sarcastic here. He's saying, good, it's good you believe there's one God. See, a lot of people, they say, I believe in Jesus. But then they live their life sometimes like they don't really believe in Jesus. Sometimes people say they believe in Jesus and then they live like compassion is unnecessary. Kindness and concern for the person who needs it is unnecessary. That is not what saving faith looks like. Saving faith is very compassionate. Saving faith is not passive. It is active. See, we're not saved by the things that we do. But faith that saves changes what we do. And it changes the way we live. You understand why this text, this... Do you understand what's at stake here? There's so much at stake. So much, so much at stake. He says, you believe that there, there, that there is one God. He says this, good, even the demons believe that. Did you know the devil knows there's one God? He does. Did you know that the, that, that the devil, did you know that all the demons of hell understand that there is one God? They understand that God has revealed himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you know there is not a single demon anywhere who doesn't believe that Jesus is fully God, fully man, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, that he lived an absolute, perfect, sinless life. There is no demon who doesn't believe that. There is no demon in hell who believes that Jesus died on the cross. There is no demon who does not believe that he went to the cross, bore our sin, died, and was raised on the third day. There is no demon. The devil himself does not question the very fact that Jesus appeared to his disciples for a period of 40 days with many convincing proofs. Then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and that all authority in heaven and earth was given to him. See, the demons, they have a perfect theology. A perfect confession of faith, and what James is saying, is you can have a perfect confession of faith, you can have a perfect profession of faith, and still not believe with saving faith. There's a lot at stake in this this text. James, again, I'm back in verse 14. Larissa, you don't have to go back to it. But James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith? Someone claims, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe. I believe in Jesus. And then live their lives. Totally ignoring his instruction about how to live. Um. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, that someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And the answer is, no, it can't. See, there is a difference between professing faith, saying we have faith, and and proof of faith, how we live. Four things, four things things that I I think are major takeaways in the text. I'm going to try to develop this pretty quick, uh, and and then I'm going to talk about next steps for you. Okay, Uh, the, the first major takeaway from this text is simply this: is that saving faith is more than a profession of faith. Hopefully, that's come through to you. The saving faith, saving faith, saving faith is not the same as professing faith. Saving faith means there's a change in how we live. Our lives following Jesus. Saving faith is more than a profession of faith. Uh, James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Saving faith is more than a profession of faith. Okay? Number one. Number one. So, so let, me, let me just put it this way. Let me put it this way, and I want you to think about it for a moment. Let's pretend like over here we have profession of faith. All right? And over here, and, and and profession of faith. This is the person who says, "I believe, I believe in Jesus," but then they don't live like they believe in Jesus. Then over here, we have what's called saving faith, meaning that that you believe in Jesus, you believe in Jesus, uh, but you believe in Jesus in a, such a way that actually change changes your thinking and changes your affections. When you look at this this line this scale from over here to over here are you closer to having a professing faith that's professing only are you closer to having a saving faith where you're actively living out your salvation you understand that question where would you put yourself now i want you to think about that for a moment now i want you to think about this what about what about your church friends where would they put you at would they put you over here or would they put you over here Okay, what about your neighbors? Okay, what about your what about your non-Christian neighbor? Do they have a conviction of your saving faith? Well, you know, I don't really believe in God. I don't really believe in Jesus. But you know what? I know he does and he's living like it. I know she does and she's living like it. Do they see a profession of faith that sounds like an empty profession or do they see a, a saving faith? that looks something like a person who's actually following Jesus in their daily lives. Now, I want you to ask this question to yourself, is where would God put you out there? Because how you answer that question is so important. So the first thing I want you to see in the text is simply this, is that saving faith is more than a profession of faith. Secondly, saving faith is more than orthodox faith. Okay, orthodox, you know, it's one of those words that everybody, you hear the word Orthodox, and you immediately yawn. Okay? Can you all yawn today? <laughs> okay? Orthodox is one of those words that you just kind of want to yawn every time you hear it. But it is a good word. Basically, what it means is this. is, is It's a combination of two Greek words. Ortho meaning right. Okay? And uh, dox is like doctrine. All right? Or right teaching. So, so you know, that... that, that Saving faith is more than, let me put it this way, uh, just believing the right stuff about God. Okay? Even the devil believes the right stuff about God. You see, remember, in verse 19, it says that, 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 you know, James says, You believe that God is one good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. See, saving faith is more than just orthodox faith, or thinking, believing the right stuff about God. The third third is this is that that saving faith is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. It's it's the kind of person person who, um, I mean, they they don't just say it, but like they don't just say they believe in Jesus, but if they see someone who's a part of our fellowship, who's in need and they had the means to help them, they go out of their way, They make sacrifice. They make sacrifice. They embrace inconvenience. They choose to be uncomfortable. They choose to do whatever is necessary to help the one of us who's in need. Is that they take action. They take action. They do something about it. They don't come to the pastor and say, Pastor, somebody should do something about this person. Y'all don't do that. I don't, I don't really get a lot of that. I've gotten it before in the past. Pastor, somebody should do something about this. I'm like, well, yeah, how about you? You know, <laughs> well, I was really thinking of you, Gary. Uh, that's kind of the way the conversation typically would go. But, but see that people with saving faith, it is an active faith. They take action. Finally, is this is that saving faith is a compassionate faith. It, it's, it's, it's a compassionate faith. Is that that they see the person in need and they help them? You know, it's very, very interesting. Is uh, there is this parable of Jesus? It's back in in Matthew chapter twenty-five. I'm not going to read the whole thing for you, okay? But I want to just kind of tell it to you, and hopefully I'll get most of it right. And and James is trying, or excuse me, Jesus here is trying to make a point. He's talking with some people, and he he says, you know, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels, okay? So this is what you need to understand: Jesus really is coming again. He really is. He really is coming again. And we don't know when that's going to be. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 2,000 years from now. I don't know. But this is what I know, that Jesus is coming again. And he's very concerned that you are ready and that I'm ready. And he says this, When the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him and will sit on his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And then he begins to tell this parable. A king, uh, he, um, uh, he, well, uh, okay, I'm getting lost here. So we got all the sheep over here. You guys are the sheep. I'm sorry, y'all are the goats today, today. All right, okay, y'all are the sheep. Y'all are the sheep. Y'all are the goats, all right? Well, whatever. You know, you can pretend like the other person's the goat, all right? You know, and we got the separation between the sheep and the goats. In verse 34, Jesus says this, Matthew, Matthew 25, Jesus says, The king will say to those on his right, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. You want to be blessed? I do too. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you. Jesus has prepared a kingdom for you and for me. And you looked after me. I was in prison. And you came to visit me. Jesus says this. Then the righteous will answer him. They'll say, Lord, when? When did we do these things? When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you naked and clothe you? When did we see you in prison and and came to visit you? And when, when did we do all these things? And Jesus says, Inasmuch as you've done this for the least of my brothers and sisters, you've done it for me. And then the king says to those on his left. He says, depart from me, you who are cursed. Anybody want to be cursed by God? Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire. Prepared. For the devil and his angels. By the way, I know there are a lot of people who don't believe in hell anymore. But Jesus believed in hell. I'm just going to say that. He did. He believed there was an eternal hell, an eternal fire. He says, depart from me. I know a lot of people don't like thinking this way about Jesus. Because it sounds a lot like judgment. And that's what we need to understand is that Jesus is. Yes, he is the compassionate Savior, but he is also the holy and righteous judge. He says, Depart from me. Depart from me uh, into the eternal fire. You know what eternal means? It means it's never ending. The eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. See, God did not prepare hell for you and me, He prepared it for the devil and his angels. But he says, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and not feed you? When did we see you thirsty and not give you something to drink? When did we see you lacking clothing and not give you clothes? When did we see you sick or in prison and not attend to you? And the king will say to those on his left, Inasmuch you have not done these things, for the least of my brothers and sisters you've not done it for me. Folks, what I'm going to tell you is this, is that we're not saved by our good works. But when we're saved, good works will be evident in our lives. And I think there's more to good works than compassion and mercy. But I do believe that good works and compassion are central to what Jesus was saying here. And I think they're central in the book of James. Because when we read through the book of James, and that's what we're preaching to, is the book of James. When we read the book of James, we read this. We read this. James says this. Those who consider themselves religious. We don't like the word religious. So we'll just scratch that out. Those who consider themselves to be really spiritual. Really Christian. But do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. Deceive themselves. Their religion is worth It has no value. It's not worth a penny. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Keeping yourself from the immorality, the lying. The materialism, everything, the what, that shapes the way the world thinks. It looks like compassion and keeping your life from being conformed to a worldly way of living and thinking. You see, compassion and mercy is really important. To see saving faith in our lives. So there are three quick next steps. There's no slide for this, Larise, so don't worry about it. Um, so three next steps for you is that if all you do is hear this message and this walk out today, you don't want to do that. You really don't. You really, if you're online, if you're watching this through Facebook, if you're watching this through YouTube, you don't want to just hear this. You don't want to just turn it off and watch something that's more pleasant than me, which there's a lot of things more pleasant than me on YouTube. okay? Uh, but you, you don't want to just walk away from this and do nothing. Because that's the very thing that James is addressing. There are some people who hear the word and they do nothing with what they've heard first thing you need to do is this. You need to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now, that's, I, I would never say anything like that. I would never say that. I would never say that a person who's lacking in compassion may not be saved, but the Bible would. I would never say examine your faith to see whether you examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. But this is the scripture. This is not my point. That point, oh, it's not on there. I should probably, I should have put this on here. It is the Bible. The Bible says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. The first thing you need to do is you need to first and foremost, make sure you're truly saved. It's not profession professing that you believe. It's not believing the right stuff about God that's saving faith. It's the reality. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Make sure, first and foremost, that you're saved. If you need to talk to someone about this, uh, please, you can talk to me. You can talk to me after church. Normally, I would be available at Journey Coffee on Wednesday afternoons at 4. But this Wednesday, I'm going to be uh, in Santa Cruz with my wife for a pastor's conference. But Matt will be there. Okay. If you need to speak with me at another time, you can call me, set up an appointment. I'm not that hard to reach. I'm really not. I'm not as unavailable as some people imagine me to be. I, would be. I would love to sit down with you. If you're uncomfortable meeting that journey coffee, well, I'll come by your house or you can come by my house or whatever. We'll have to work it around my wife and her schedule. But I will make time to talk to you about this. But examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. And if you need to talk to someone about it, you need to set up a time to talk with me okay? or talk with Matt. Uh, number two. Consider how you're doing at showing compassion and mercy to others. I mean, one of the things that's central to people who are saved is compassion and mercy. You know, there, there is this, uh, on the ultra-right side of evangelicalism, there is a heresy. When they call compassion the social gospel. The gospel cares about the spiritual condition of lost people. But the person who claims to be concerned about the spiritual condition of people around them and ignores the person suffering. Jesus never did that. Jesus never did that. He never ignored a person who needed compassion. If that's what evangelicalism, I am no longer an evangelical. But the truth is, I am an evangelical because an evangelical is a person who believes in the gospel that it is the power of God for salvation. And true salvation looks a lot like compassion. Consider how you're doing it, showing compassion and mercy to others. This was a major concern of James. It was a major concern of Jesus. Go back through, read Matthew 25. By the way, uh, real quick here. Consider how you're doing at showing compassion, mercy to others. Here's the thought. Here's the thought. Here's the thought. Oh, the other day I walked up here to this building. I walked up to this building where we meet. This is not the church. This is just the building. We're the church, all right? But I walked up to this building where we meet. And I saw a body in a sleeping bag. It wasn't moving. I couldn't even see evidence. This person in the sleeping bag, small person, was even breathing. I I stopped and I I spoke. I said, are you okay? And what you don't want to do is that, and I've had these kinds of instances before, better not to touch a person who's on the ground unexpectedly. It just really is better not to touch them. It's better to speak to them, and if they don't respond, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to call uh, the police, okay? Call police, call the authorities, ask them, I have a person here, they're not moving, they're not responding, I'm not sure if, I can't even tell if they're breathing. But you need to tell them what you see, and they will send someone here, and they will help that person. That's what you do, all right? Um, I've had to do this before when people were, like, strung out on drugs and stuff like that. Uh, in, in this case, I didn't know what I was dealing with. I didn't know if I was dealing with someone who was dead. I didn't know if I was just dealing with someone who was sleeping. I didn't know what I was dealing with. And so I spoke several times, and they did not respond. I said, I'm, I'm going to have to call the police, and then they responded. <laughs> uh, she got up She got up and uh, looked like a very, very young gal. I couldn't tell how old she was. It was like, you know, I thought, well, she could be in her 20s, but she could be a teenager. She could be a a runaway, okay? I didn't know her situation. And I just, I I tried to to be kind and not mean. I just said, look, you you can't sleep here in the day. You can't do that. Uh, She took off running, you know. and, um, And then I've been thinking a lot about her. And I came by yesterday, and she was sleeping there again. I did the same thing again. She wasn't moving. I spoke to her several times, then I took my phone. I started to call the police, Then she looked up. But, you know, she got out, and I asked her, you know, I said, um, I asked her, well, how old are you? Because, you know, if, if she's a runaway, I, I need to report it to the authorities. Of course, most runaways are not going to admit that. But uh, she told me she was, uh, I can't remember, it was like 27, 28. And I, I, I felt confident that was probably her age. And actually a really beautiful young lady. I thought, you know, if she had a, uh, just had a shower, fresh change of clothes, if she had her hair just uh, kind of arranged, really beautiful young lady. Um, and and what I told her is, I said this. I said, you know, <clears throat> I said if this is a safe place for you, because I I thought about this, and I'm I, I'm thinking like a dad here, okay? I'm thinking like a dad because you know I've got. A son is 27. I got a daughter-in-law who's 24. I got a daughter who's 26. Son-in-law who's 32. Got a daughter who's 21. I and mean, I'm thinking like a dad. I'm said, and I'm thinking about a father of girls. Is I'm thinking she may literally have no place to go, and she may be thinking if I sleep out back, I'm going to be unseen and unprotected, and somebody might do something. You know, I might be a victim of violence. And so I just told her, and if this offends anybody, and Steve. You know, Rich, you know, Eric, if you guys need to talk to me about this as as elders, you know, we we can talk about it later. But I just said, you know, if this is a safe place for you, you can sleep here at night. You can't. But at day, there are other businesses here, and they're very concerned about the presence of someone sleeping here. So I'm going to ask you to leave when it's daylight. Um, <clears throat> where am I going with all this stuff? Um the mark of salvation is compassion. You know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. Because my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law, or my, no, my son-in-law. My son-in-law, Oh well, he's not my son-in-law. He'll be my son-in-law two weeks from the day. He'll be my son-in-law for a full 24 hours. Uh, my soon-to-be son-in-law and my daughter, my oldest daughter, every Sunday morning, this is what they do. And, and, and Sean has been doing this for how, how, 10 years. About 10 years he's been doing this. See, see, Sean knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be 15 years old and to be homeless. He knows what it's like to live out of a truck by himself. No mom, no dad. No adult. He knows what it's like to be alone. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like. He got him on. Was invited to a church the way uh, when he was 17, where he put his faith in Jesus. Uh, last year, he lost his mentor, Lonnie, who pastored that church, and this last Friday. He was installed as the new pastor. My daughter's going to be a pastor's wife. Every Sunday morning, he goes to this, I don't know if it's Whole Foods, something like that, some fancy place. I don't go to those grocery stores. He goes there every Sunday morning, and what he does is he takes all their expired food. They give it to him for free. And every Sunday morning, they take it to this church, and they feed people who are hungry every Sunday. Saving faith is a compassionate faith. Consider how you're doing it, showing compassion and mercy. The reason I'm bringing this up is this. Maybe God is putting on your heart and your mind a desire to do something like Sean and Cass. I'm ready not to do it for you. I'm not going to do it for you. Because it's you who needs to put your faith into action. But if That is something that you want to be a part of. Let's talk about it. We'll make sure we get some more people involved. But consider how you're doing it, showing compassion and mercy to others. Sorry, tangent. Third, consider if God, oh, I already did that. I said, consider how you're doing at showing compassion, mercy to others. And then third, consider if God is wanting you to be a part of help, helping organize and launch a compassion ministry or church. I'm going to go ahead and ask the, uh, the, the worship team, Elsa and Emily, to come back up. Um, you know, that's all i got. Let me just pray first. Can I do that? God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. You are a holy God. You are holy. And we worship you because you're holy. And you are the righteous judge, and you are also the gracious and merciful Savior. And we're, we're grateful for all of that. We worship you in all of that. Lord, my prayer is if there's anybody here today who's become aware, painfully aware, of their own sin, that their faith has been an empty faith. Their faith has been a, a, faith, a dead faith. Their faith is a faith that, that, that lacks compassion, lacks action. Uh, my prayer is that you would save them today. Give them the wisdom, the courage they need to reach out to me or to reach out to another person and to to really commit their lives to Jesus today. For the rest of us, God, I pray that our faith would not be just an orthodox faith, uh, but that it would be a compassionate faith, an active faith. And I pray this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen.
2: Thank you Gary. Um, it's always good to be challenged like that. I think sometimes we do get complacent and think well I'll just throw a little bit of money here but to actually act on those things I think it's a great way to uh, for us to expand our faith. Um, I just wanted to go over a few announcements for us. Um, so we just wanted to remind you again connection is something that's so important in the church and so we have a couple of co-ed groups going on Tuesday and Thursday nights, Um, the information is on our website, you can check that out, and also we do have specific women's and men's groups starting, Joy's going to be starting one in November, same with Matt, he's going to be starting a men's group as well, so keep your eyes posted for that. Um also Gary mentioned coffee with a pastor that is happening still on Wednesday, but just with Matt this time. Matt didn't adjust the announcement, so I'm glad Gary mentioned something. Um, But if you wanted to meet, they are usually there, 4 p.m. Chadburn Road, the journey coffee there. And then lastly, we are going to worship God with our giving. And there are five different ways that you can give. All the information is on our website at www.celonovalley.org forward slash giving. Um, And we just want to remind you that when we give, we make eternal investments in building God's kingdom. And we make an impact on the community for the sake of the gospel, which is so important. Um, thank you again for your generosity in worshiping God with us this way. And then just we want to close out with a song, so please rise with us as we sing. The piano's not on. <laughs>
0: We're good. Thank you. you.
1: I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me, and all my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing. Of the goodness of God. Oh, my Of God. I love your voice.
0: church for being here today. And again, thank you for having me Um, go today in the love of the Lord with um, an active and a compassionate faith.